Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Marshall Love, a vegan DJ here in Austin, Texas. Miles Marshall Love Kloss DJs any and all styles of music. He's great for weddings, corporate events, nightclubs, and anywhere else you can think of. Rates vary by event and start at $50 an hour, but just for us, he's offering 10% off to anyone who mentions another vegan podcast upon booking. Supporting vegan professionals means that your money spent goes to people who are making the world a better place. So if you're in the Austin area, check him out at marshallovemusic.com. That's M-A-R-T-I-A-L-L-O-V-E-M-U-S-I-C.com or email love, L-O-V-E, at marshallovemusic.com for more info. Hey Cassie, you want to hear a joke? Yes. What did one ocean say to the other ocean? Nice tide? No. <laughs> I like how you just made your own joke, though. Um, the answer is nothing. They just waved. Ah, that's cute. Uh, two goldfish are in a tank. One looks at the other and says, how do you drive this thing? <laughs> Wow, that was our first one-liner of the podcast. It says it as a question-answer joke, but yeah, it's a one-liner. Well, good job. Good job being innovative for the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> there were two vegan girls from Texas who were podcast geeks. They both had, hey, let's do something where we both speak. And even though they weren't known, they bought a microphone to start recording at home. They have a podcast now. It's kind of funny, we think it's another vegan podcast Welcome to another vegan podcast. I'm Cassie. And I'm Brittany. So what's up with stuff? Not much. Just trying to... Just been working a lot. I've been working actually too much, I think, because all of the other stuff that I normally have going on, I haven't been able to do. Like, I haven't been working on stuff for ATX Vegans. I haven't been working on stuff for ATX Vegan Drinks. I've just been like... I got like sort of roped into this project at work and it's like all I have time for. Sounds like it. But yeah, that's basically my life. Like I dream in spreadsheets. And then I come home and I cook dinner. I've been cooking a lot more. I've made cashew cheese twice this week. So I'm feeling pretty accomplished. Like two different kinds of cashew cheese? Yeah, the first one I made was for a pizza. And then the second one I made was um, I wanted to try to make a different version of mac and cheese. So I made like a cheese for, made a cheese sauce for the mac and cheese. Was it good? It was okay. I ended up adding a little follow your heart anyway. It was a it was a quick recipe where you didn't have to soak the cashews, where you just like blended them with water. And I don't think I like it because I didn't. I mean, I blended for like twenty minutes and it wasn't fine enough for my. I mean, it tastes fine. Like it's just like little tiny pieces of cashews here and there. But um, I think I prefer soaking them. Yeah, soaking like they say if you have a high powered blender that it doesn't matter, but you should always soak them anyway because they like they turn into magic when you soak them. Yeah. Yeah, I've got I've kind of gotten used to that gritty taste over over the years because I never think ahead to soak them. So I'm just like, eh, if it has cashews, it's just gonna Yeah, that's my problem. So I was trying to find something because everything like wants you to soak them and I'm just like, well, I don't want to have this in 5 hours. Like I want to have it now. Like I want to make it now and it'd be done in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, who do you think I am? But I bought like uh around Christmas time, I made the uh Isa green bean casserole and for some reason I was just like I'm mm. just gonna start buying cashews and so I bought like I have a container right now that's full of them and I've made probably about two or three cups of cashews this week and I still have like four cups of cashews left in the container like, I have so many cashews 
Like, I really need to start using these. Nice. What's up with you? Um, since the last podcast, I've been doing, like, a bunch of stuff. ATX Vegans had a meeting with the Alamo Draft House and Dea Foods, and that was really cool. We were part of a panel. Um, so Chef Chris Montalbano from Dea Foods came out and demoed, like, a crap ton of food for us at the Alamo Draft House. Um, I think what they're trying to do is partner with Dea to put it on their menu, like, in different ways. They made this, like, queso. They made a ton of burgers, a ton of pizzas, grilled cheeses, mac and cheeses. They did these pizza rolls. It was absolutely crazy. But she um, was telling us all about their new formula that's coming out. We got to try their new formula that's not tapioca-based, but that's potato-based. And it was absolutely amazing. We tried it on pizza, and it browns over the whole pizza like real cheese does. And it's a lot crispier, and it doesn't hold its form the same way that original Formula Dea does. Like, whenever you see a picture of a Dea pizza, like, it's very obviously Dea, because, like, the cheese looks very distinctly Dea. But, like, this stuff kind of just, like, melts in, like, follow your heart, but also it crisps up in the oven. It was crazy good. It was so awesome. It's exciting. It was so it was so exciting. Like I sincerely, sincerely hope that Alamo adds them to their menu. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Alamo Draft House is originally a local Austin movie house, like eatery type place. It's a place you go, you sit down, and you watch a movie. And you get like really good food and alcohol. And now they're almost everywhere. So. For them to do it here might mean that it only happens here, but it could also happen in New York and L.A. or wherever else they are. And basically, I think it might start slow. Like, they might have a pizza or they might just offer cheese on a burger. But anything, honestly, that's more vegan forward is the way to go. But they're already pretty vegan-friendly at Alamo. But yeah, anyway, that was really exciting. What else did I do? Um... I guess we should talk about Hurricane Harvey. Um, So today is August 30th, so the podcast isn't going to come out for a few more days, but most of you know, I think we are an Austin-based podcast that's in Texas. We're less than three hours away from Houston and a lot of other affected areas from Hurricane Harvey, and we both know and have family members in areas that were affected by the hurricane. All of my family members, as of today, are safe. All of my family members are also safe. I was looking at my Facebook feed today just, like, to get a grasp on what's happening, and I counted 14 people that I know, like, that I know and that show up on my Facebook feed, like, not just distant Facebook friends, but real people 14 people I know that are currently in evacuee status from the hurricane. And it's rather devastating. Growing up there, I went through so many hurricanes and tropical storms and flooding, and this is nowhere near anything I experienced 
Yeah, and I grew up on um, I grew up on the coast in a town called Port Lavaca, which is one of the cities that FEMA is considering like a hazard city. Uh, I haven't seen a ton of damage um, from pictures I've seen, but there's been there has been a lot of damage. It's a coastal city. There's lots of stuff that got blown over because they got hit not as hard. Um, my parents still currently it's a it's a Wednesday. And this hit last Friday. My parents currently still don't have power. My sister, who lives in Victoria, still currently doesn't have power. My sister should get power by Saturday. My parents are hoping that they will have power, like, within three to five days. Um, Wow. And so they're all safe. My parents have a little bit of property damage. But um, I I don't know very many people who actually had... Um, significant damage, but I have friends of friends and people that I know who had damage. I, uh, a friend of one of my really good friends uh, had half of her roof torn off on her trailer and she just got married. Um, her sister there was in a town called Bloomington. Their entire house flooded, so they lost their house and their car. Um, wow. And so, yeah, it's a little, uh, it's a little, it's a little interesting that it was, it's been, it's been a really bad hurricane. And like, like Brittany said, like I grew up on the coast and like we had hurricanes all the time and it's never been like, it's just like, oh, okay, like, yeah, board up the windows. We'll have a couple of trees fall down. And, um, this has been a lot more massive and on a larger scale than I think anything that we've seen. I mean, even today, like, uh, Beaumont flooded today, like Beaumont's underwater five days later. It's like, it's just traveling and like massive flooding everywhere. Apparently like the storm is headed up to Louisiana. So hopefully Louisiana doesn't have really bad flooding. It's just, it's really crazy. Yeah. The, the the vast amount of like cities. For sure. Yeah. And I was, I was reading statistics earlier, just getting information. It says that there were over 50 inches of rain in some parts of Houston, which is over the amount of rain that Houston gets over the course of an entire year, if you compare that to Austin numbers, it's 15 months worth of rain just in like a single weekend. The damage today, at least, covers 530 square miles and um, it equals like trillions and trillions and trillions of gallons of water, basically, over a 15-hour period. And over also over that period, Emergency services received over 56,000 911 calls, which mean, like, come and get me. 56,000 of those calls. Yeah. And um, so I, it's probably too early to tell, too, but as of today, there were 10,000 refugees just at the convention center in Houston, at the George R. R. Brown Convention Center. That's just, like, one of the many, many places where people are being sent to find shelter. Yeah, so who knows how many people are actually displaced, but we probably won't know for the next, like, week or so what that number is. And in places like Houston specifically, like, with with the coastal cities that had, like, property damage, stuff like that, you know, they sort of have an idea of how many people were actually affected. Like, it's going to take, like, Houston basically draining of water to get, like, a a death count, which is going to be, like, astronomically high of people who, like, weren't able to be saved, I think. And it's just, it's really awful. Yeah. No, I have no idea how many people are missing currently, but I think the number of confirmed dead, I think, is still at six. Yeah. Which hasn't risen in the last few days, which is a good sign. But like you said, it, some parts are still 
entirely underwater. Yeah. Like, no one's going to get them. But I thought, I thought while we were talking about this, we could give people kind of the rundown. Just um, because one of the big topics about like surrounding natural disasters and stuff and especially with this one i've heard both sides of it i've seen some people posting stuff about oh my god i can't believe how many pictures i'm seeing of dogs chained up like people aren't even taking their animals and i'm also seeing so many posts from people saying like look at all these houstonians and what they're willing to do for their pets because they're just picture after picture after picture of people holding like giant dogs and like crates with their cats and birds and stuff it just anecdotally it's seeming like this disaster people are taking their animals lives more seriously just in my personal facebook experience yeah um which is a really good sign but then again you know, people, like, I I wouldn't know, like, okay, so I was thinking about it today, and when I lived in Houston, I had a ferret, I had sugar gliders, this was all from pre-vegan stuff, um, I had a ferret, I had sugar gliders, I had a fish, I had, you know, two dogs, I had a cat, like, I'm wondering, you know, what would my family have done if there was a flood yeah you know like i we would be i honestly you know in the 90s we would have been lucky to have a cat crate you know to have something to put yoda in that was my cat's name (laughs) and uh i you know i was thinking about it and like what would you have done you know were, were you someone with a lot of pets when you were a kid um yeah we usually had at least one or two dogs when I was like younger and then when I became a teenager um is when my parents my parents currently have five dogs um I think when I was a teenager they got to where they they had like we had one and then like they got another one the next year and then the next year they got two but they were all very small dogs and my parents always had like extra big crates for whatever or like you know they could be carried and I also I had uh, four other siblings. So there was a lot more people, I think. Mm-hmm. Like I've been thinking about it because um, my friend, I have a friend who lives in Houston and thankfully her and her family are fine. But we we're like talking about it. She like posted something on my wall and I was like, I was thinking about it today. And like, I'm like a single parent. I'm a single person and I have two cats and a dog and an almost three-year-old. And I was just like, how the fuck would I have like managed to carry all my animals if there was like flash flooding like that like like I don't even know how I would manage to carry my child and my two cats who can't be in the same carrier because they stand they can't stand each other yeah and a dog and I'm just like hope my dog can swim and put her on a leash like I don't I I wouldn't even know yeah I did see someone who had um several animals in a kiddie pool like and in crates and in like one of those plastic kiddie pools and I have one of those and so now I'm going to keep it forever in case there is a flood I need to transport my animals and like float it on top of the water yeah I mean that's a good plan that's a really good plan so what uh what I did was I looked at the Humane Society of the United States and I'm, I'm gonna put a link in the show notes to this but they have a whole page dedicated to making a disaster plan for your pets. And so I thought we could, like, go over it just a little bit, you know, just the highlights, just to, like, give people ideas of what to do, especially if you live in coastal cities, places with uh, tornado issues, places with flooding issues, 
And even if you don't live in a place traditionally that has flooding issues, you never know. So just high-level stuff. If, if this is something you're worried about, which honestly I think it should be something you're worried about because like I was saying, when I was a kid and we had, you know, a ton of pets in the house, I'm sure we never thought about what we would do if there was a flood. It might have been partially because that was a different time where pets and animals were considered a little more disposable than they are now, which is an unfortunate way to, to phrase it. But yeah. also maybe just because it was more accepted back then that, you know, if something terrible happened, then, you know, pets are the first ones to go. I remember being told as a kid that if there's a fire in your house, you get out. You don't take your animals. I, I remember being told that from a firefighter at my school. <laughs> yeah, I remember being told up. that too. And I remember thinking that would never happen. <laughs> You're like, like when I couldn't hell leave my cat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I get it like uh, for kids, you know? Yeah. But I've taken that. Like there was never a class that I took in adulthood where a firefighter was like, make sure your kid doesn't look for the cat, but you look for the cat, you know? So it's something that's carried over into my adulthood where I'm just like, don't take the animals if there's a fire, but I'm a vegan and I generally know where my animals are. So I'm going to get an animal. I mean, we have two giant dogs that are always downstairs, so they're easy. Yeah. I remember as a kid just going like, oh, okay. So my animals die if there's a fire. And I think the reason reason that I was going to say earlier I think the reason they do that is because you know if you're talking to a five-year-old kid or even a 10-year-old kid and they think it's at all acceptable to go around the house and try to find whiskers right um, yeah you know you might have a missing person on your hands uh so uh, as far as kids are concerned you know get out of the fucking house <laughs> but <laughs> the first thing that humane society says to do is id your pet which should be something you do anyway this is for any lost pet any pet in danger if you live out in the country if you live in the city it doesn't matter id your pet make sure there are collars on your animals make sure they are chipped if you have that capability many large cities offer free chips for dogs and cats that's the little um, microchip that goes underneath their skin uh, right in the back of their neck and it's really quick and easy it's just like a little needle that they put in it's in and out you can also put together a disaster kit which is like a little food, um, medicine, pictures of you and your pet just in case one or more of you gets lost, a sheet explaining how to give medicine to your pet if he or she is diabetic or has other medical conditions and gets lost, um, just things like that. You can put together just a little kit just in case some shit goes down. You can find a safe place to stay ahead of time if you are so lucky as to know ahead of time, uh, kind of like we did for Hurricane Harvey, you know, I think, you know, the more and more this kind of stuff happens, which I don't mean to get political, but, you know, according to 99% of scientists, this kind of stuff might start happening more and more because of <laughs> climate change. Uh, but <laughs> we're going to start taking the weather a little bit more seriously, I hope at least, you know. Yeah. But um, you can find a safe place to stay ahead of time for you and your pets. If this is like a non-flooding issue, then you can make arrangements with your veterinarian or with local doggy day out kind of places. Also, don't forget that a lot of local animal shelters will sometimes have a disaster plan that includes taking animals that are not lost 
So um, if you know that your house is about to be flooded or you know that some natural disaster is about to happen, if you're so lucky as to know, some shelters, not all shelters, but some shelters will take your animals either for a fee or even for free if it's in, you know, a disastrous time and they will house your animals while this is happening. You can then go to a hotel or a friend's house or some other place where animals are not welcome always remember that in disaster cases and in emergency cases, refugee holding areas like a convention center, like massive places where people are going to seek shelter from a natural disaster, many, many, many times animals are not going to be allowed there. Don't risk going there without a plan for for good reason, you know, because they don't all get along with each other. It, you know, poses a safety risk for them, for others, for children, you know, for whoever, because we don't know these people that are coming in, people meaning animals. But some places do. I, I saw some stories, some really sad stories of people in Houston, like one one couple was taking shifts like, one of them would go inside the convention center and sleep while the others stood outside in the rain with their dog because the dog was not allowed in. Eventually, I think they created, like, a safe little place to keep animals in the convention center away from people, which, honestly, hats off to them for even figuring out how to do something like that, you know, in the midst of a, a tragedy, basically. Yeah. Um, plan ahead if you can. There's the... I, I mean, and this is, it sort of relates to veganism and sort of relates to, um, I think we need to figure out how to like help people that maybe that we don't necessarily know out because um, there's been a lot of stuff about how people, and people are talking about it more about how a lot of people don't evacuate because they can't afford to go to hotels and they can't afford to, you know, leave their car or leave their family or risk like what if their job has to get back. And so I think like we need to try to figure out as well within like communities how to help people who maybe don't have as much resources to just leave or if they can and that's honestly a big part of why people don't leave in the first place yeah like that's why the majority of people you see on the news that are trapped on rooftops that are you know being interviewed about their horror story are poor people because they simply don't have the luxury of leaving early right like it's it's not a risk they can take they're not going to make the reservation at a hotel in another city because they have work tomorrow and that's not in the scope of possibility because they can't pay a fee to cancel a reservation and like in my parents case like they like there's places like there's hotels that take dogs like my parents have five dogs right now like there are very few hotel hotels who are going to be like, yeah, it's cool if you have five dogs instead of just one or two. So um, the Humane Society also suggests to take your pet if you evacuate. Rule number one, if it isn't safe for you, it isn't safe for your pets. You have no way of knowing how long you'll be kept out of the area and you may not be able or even allowed to go back for your pets. And so I think a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to go spend the night over at my friend's house. I'm just going to leave my pets here overnight and then I'm going to come get them in the morning. But that doesn't make sense because if you don't feel safe in your own home, your pets aren't going to be safe. And so if you can, take your pets because they could get injured, they could get lost, they could be killed. The worst that can happen is that you'll be with your pet wherever 
you happen to be with or without a bed. And I think, you know, in the long run, as, as vegans, you know, I assume that most people that are listening to this are vegans and are people who would, of course, take their pets. But, you know, that's honestly, like I, because I've never been in that situation, I don't know if that's something I might think. You know, I have two very independent dogs and uh, I don't know, like what if Austin was flooding and the place that we had set up couldn't take animals? I might think like, yeah, it's a night, but there's something you have to remember is that if you if you don't feel safe, you shouldn't assume your animals should feel or be safe either. Yeah. So if you do decide to stay home, if if you do for some crazy reason and because of the inability to leave, decide to stay home, close off and eliminate unsafe like nooks and crannies where frightened animals might try to hide move dangerous items like tools toxic products like bleaches things like that um bring your pets indoors if that's something (laughs) anyway it says bring your pets indoors but you know whatever if you have room you can designate it as a safe room and put all your emergency supplies in that room in advance like uh crates and supplies and medications and pet food like if you have that emergency safety kit that they suggest you make, that's where it should be in the safe room and listen to the radio periodically to get updates. Something people don't consider is after the disaster, when you go home and you have your pets, they suggest not to allow your pets to roam loose, like familiar landmarks and smells might be gone. So don't let them out, like like for cats, I guess. Don't let them out just to roam around because they might get disoriented and get lost because they don't just like remember the street signs like we do. They remember smells. And so everything might be jumbled around. Things aren't going to smell the same as they were. So don't let your pets out as soon as you get back home. And also keep your dogs on leashes and your cats and carriers inside the house if your house has significant damage. And um, if your community has been flooded, like the outside, check your home and yard for wild animals who might have sought refuge there. Because depending on where you are, those wild animals might be a threat to themselves or to you if your dog or cat comes upon them or if you come upon them. So just do a perimeter check of your house to make sure there aren't rattlesnakes or I don't know, rabies prone animals just hiding out, you know, who are also just trying to escape from the rain, in fairness. But or um, who your animals might try to eat. You got it. Yeah. Awful. If I let my dog out and there's like a squirrel or something hiding in the apartment and my dog like attacked it. Yeah, that would be pretty terrible. Which uh, that's just high level stuff. They have a really comprehensive list that you really. You, you, you should print it out and put it on your refrigerator. I mean, I'm a little overcautious because of our proximity to the recent disaster. But um, yeah, yeah me all too. that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like print it out, laminate it, put it on your fridge. Um, you can find that information at humanesociety.org, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. So, also, I don't know if you've done this, Cassie, but I compiled a list of places where you can donate. First and foremost. I'm not an expert in what the best thing to donate is. Uh, the feminist in me says tampons and underwear, but um, <laughs> I've been reading like a bunch of different things, and it seems like the general consensus is that the best thing to donate is money, and I think it it always is. Honestly, money gets 
things. And um, something to consider also if you are someone who feels compelled to donate things like books or toys or clothes or all that stuff is a volunteer has to then open up boxes, small boxes, over and over and over again. And their time could be used actually helping people rather than opening up boxes and boxes of things. Also, charities often get even bigger discounts than you can. So your money might actually go further by giving it to the charity and having them get things. Also, many places have Amazon wish lists that you can mm-hmm. order straight off of. And Amazon works with charities to make big boxes. I worked for a very short time at Austin Animal Center and um, we had an Amazon wish list and we didn't get little tiny boxes of things. Amazon made sure to put everything in giant boxes where everything was just there. You open up the box, there's like 20 things in it and it helps so much. And it seems it seems crappy because everyone wants to donate something you know, used clothes, socks, underwear, all that stuff. And they're needed. They're very needed, but they can get them too. Kind of eliminating the weird ones like American Red Cross, which is honestly kind of on the fence for me. Um, yeah. I, yeah, that, I, at this point I would say don't donate to the American Red Cross because they don't have a great history of actually helping people. That's just my personal opinion. Um, also, there are a ton of other places you can give to and it'll be just as good. Like you don't have to just give to the really big famous one. So I like, these are places that I looked up and I like them. Global Giving, uh, which is at globalgiving.org. So they call themselves the largest global crowdfunding community, and they have a goal of raising $2 million for Harvey Relief Fund. And the funds will be used first for immediate needs of food, water, shelter, And then they'll transition to long-term recovery efforts. The next one that I like is the Center for Disaster Philanthropy, which is really long. But they've launched a Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund, and its strategy is investing well rather than investing quickly. And so most of the proceeds from this fundraiser are going to address the greater needs and gaps in funding that might be yet to emerge. So the um the post relief efforts is what this is going to go to people who can't afford the repairs that need to be done on their home that didn't fill out the paperwork in time people who can't get access to fill out FEMA paperwork that need help getting back into their homes or repairing their homes or finding shelter for a long period of time if their home was totally destroyed. So that's the Center for Disaster Philanthropy. They're at disasterphilanthropy.networkforgood.com. Again, we're going to have all these links in our show notes. Next up is Portlight Strategies. And they actually facilitate projects involving people with disabilities affected by the disaster. They do post-disaster relief work, and they say that their hotline for inclusive disaster strategies has actually received urgent requests from people in need, like over the course of Harvey. So this Portlight Strategies helps people with disabilities, A, get out of places 
where they physically cannot get out of, stay in places where they have access to the medical care they need or access to the um, like ways to get around. Also, post-disaster uh, relief work in helping rebuild their homes or helping somehow you know reshape their lives post-disaster. And if you are so compelled, which I think you should be as vegans because people forget about all the animals affected in these disasters. Animal Defense League of Texas is doing a lot of work in Houston right now. The Houston chapters of the ASPCA and the Humane Society are obviously doing huge amounts of work, taking in lots of animals. And also, uh, Austin Pets Alive is on site in Houston, also taking animals back to Austin. We have a full shelter right now, you know, three hours away from Houston. We have a full shelter of animals or several full shelters, I should say, of animals um, from Hurricane Harvey. So if you are so compelled to donate to charities, those are my, I think, five that I picked just for like different things. I didn't include food banks just because you can find food banks. Right. And they're not vegan, so. The few that I have are mostly, they're from how to donate to uh, communities of color. I like that. And there is the Black Women's Defense League. Um, there's a ton of them, honestly. The Living Hope Wheelchair Association, they serve populations with spinal cord injuries and disabilities. Uh, the bulk of their members are immigrants, low-wage workers, basically people with disabilities who have a hard enough time working without flooded shit. South Texas Human Rights Center, which works with immigrant families and people that Trump was trying to deport while we were being flooded. The uh, Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund, which was created by the mayor of Houston, and it's basically just Houston trying to get money for Houston. Also, the Transgender Foundation of America, because a lot of transgender people are turned out of shelters for disasters. It's something that I think people don't think about if it doesn't directly affect them, but that has had a history of happening. So, um... If you donate to or the trans, I'm sorry. If you donate to the Transgender Foundation of America, they help fund finding transgender people who would be previously turned away from shelters, uh, like safe and secure uh, places. Because I mean, there's been not great stuff that happens in long-term uh, relief shelters like that, just like assaults and sexual assaults and things like that, where people are just like laying back to back in cots. Um, I know there was. There was stuff that I read about that happened during Katrina. And so I would imagine um, for transgender people that there is a greater risk of things like that, just like there's a greater risk in prisons or like in everyday life. And the other two would be um, Best Friends Society of America and um, Austin Pets Alive because they're both working really hard to rent buildings that they can just store animals in. Best Friends Society is um, out of Utah, but they have different branches in like Los Angeles and New York. And they're a really great uh, animal shelter organization. And they sent people in to rescue. They were rescuing all kinds of people. They had people on boats saving, uh, like, snakes and stuff. That's and, amazing. Like, other, and other, like, aquatic life, like, people's, like, fish tanks that overflowed and stuff like that. So they're doing um, they're doing a ton. So, yeah, Best Friends Society of America. And, um, and then the Austin Wildlife Foundation, like, because we're a fairly dry city, like, Austin's getting a huge influx of animals. Um, and I'm sure other cities are, too. I just see more about Austin stuff. But yeah, it's like definitely animal shelters because people who can't take their pets or who leave their pets, like there are so many um, just normal people and also like shelter workers who have been out there on boats, like saving people's pets that they have left behind. And so I think that um, especially as vegans, like that's something that we need to care about as well. So yeah, guys, go donate if you can, if you if you have the, the means to donate. And if you don't have the means to donate, you can help spread information. There are a million ways to help you guys. You don't have to 
donate monetarily. You don't have to, you know, send diapers and clothing and underwear to people if you can't afford to do it, but you can share information and you can check on your loved ones and there's a million ways you can help. It doesn't have to cost money. Okay, so on that really, really light note, is it time for a quiz? Yes. Say, kids, what time is it? documentary coming out in 2018 and it's been billed as Australia's Earthlings. Ooh. I have no idea. It's called Dominion. Dominion? Um, yeah, Dominion. Like how we have dominion over animals like according to the Bible. That's what I thought, but then I was kind of like like the little yellow things. Yeah, Dominions. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing because I watched the trailer, not the movie, the trailer for Dominion uh, as I was doing research for this. And I was like screaming at my computer and bawling my eyes out. This is not going to be like a lighthearted, you know, what the health. This is not going to be cowspiracy. Like this is Earthlings, but for 2018. And it's... It's absolutely horrific. So Dominion is coming out in March of next year in 2018, and it's being put out by an animal rights organization called Aussie Farms or Aussie Farms. I don't know how people from Australia say it. It's actually a sequel to another film that they did in 2014 called Lucent. And Lucent was a feature-length documentary that was pieced together with handheld and hidden camera footage uh, from over 50 pig farms and slaughterhouses in Australia. And this time, with Dominion, Aussie Farms used footage from their own aerial drones and other video evidence sent to their repository, which is interesting. So they have this free public database where literally anyone in Australia can submit their own visual evidence of animal abuses in the form of videos, photos, documents, campaign materials, etc. And it's all shared. So they're using all of this really high quality and up-to-date footage to cover like not just pigs like Lucent did, but all the bases. They cover wildlife, clothing, food, entertainment pets vivisection everything it's just like earthlings and some people are saying that they're kind of reinventing the wheel with this documentary because after all like earthlings is still such a powerful movie even now like if you watch earthlings now like it doesn't it feels like it doesn't matter when it was made and i think earthlings was made in 2005 or 1995 i can't remember um i think it was made in 2005 uh aussie farms's goal for the docu-series Lucent and now Dominion is to answer the myth that apparently it doesn't happen in Australia. So 
like people in Australia apparently like to say that these abuses are a foreign problem and that Australia is somehow exempt from those same horrors that you see in films like Earthlings, which were actually shot in the States. So if you have the stomach for it and the heart for it, go and watch the trailer for Dominion. Again, it's coming out in March 2018. It's beautifully shot. The shots are clear. Like when we say like handheld and, you know, secret footage, like you think of like grainy images that you can barely make out, like these are clear as day. This is something that has the potential to make a huge impact on the lives of animals in Australia and elsewhere because, you know, the truth is that these abuses are happening literally everywhere and they're happening right now. They're not just happening 10 years ago, 20 years ago. This is happening right now all over the world and people are starting to look at it. Anyway, I was very moved by the trailer. I it was it was really really hard to watch. I haven't watched animal abuse videos in quite a while and I really really felt it today. So I'm in, like I'm in a terrible mood now because of it. But, and that was just the trailer. That was just the trailer. I still um, haven't watched any of those documentaries. Watch the trailer, man. It's like a 2-minute trailer. It'll just it'll have you in a ball of tears. It's just it's terrible absolutely terrible and you don't see a lot of blood that's the thing you don't even see blood like it's not i can't even look at like when i'm scrolling through my feed and like vegans post like those pictures of like the pigs in the slaughterhouse or like the little videos of like the pig i can't even look when they start moving i'm like nope done bye scrolling can't see it can't watch it yeah i usually unfollow those people (laughs) so texas dogs displaced by harvey will be landing in this state (gasps) um Colorado? Nope. Higher. Um, heaven? (laughs) Did you say heaven? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god. Um, No, actually, New Jersey? (laughs) That sounds like the opposite of heaven. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Sorry, New Jersey. I know you're the Garden State. You're notoriously beautiful, and I'm sorry. And they have, like, the, the animal shelter dog thing, which I originally thought that's what this was about, like, since they can't sell, uh, like, bred dogs in pet shops anymore. Oh, yeah. They had that, like, we had that news article. So I was like, oh, that makes sense. They're going to send a bunch of rescue dogs to New Jersey, and they can sell them in their little windows. But no, it's actually not what's happening. So at least 100 dogs from Texas shelters will be sent to New Jersey. Other animals will also be sent north into northeastern states. And these are animals who have owners whose owners cannot get to them or, like, aren't in a position to be able to take them back. And so instead of filling up the shelters in Texas with animals that have homes, they're going to displace them to potentially other states and other cities to hold them until their owners can take them back. That's amazing. And so the shelters down here can be filled with animals that don't have anywhere to go. I love So they can know, like, how many animals. Um, Yeah, I thought that was really awesome. What's the organization? So it's uh, St. Hubert's Animal Welfare System is the organization in New Jersey. They're coordinating with a bunch of different shelters in Texas. That's really cool. Hey, that's actually another good idea of people who can't afford to donate to this cause. If you have room in your house, there are plenty of animals who probably need a foster parent. I don't know. If you're in one of these states, 
Were there animals being shipped? Maybe. I don't know. Absolutely. Do it. Apparently, uh, St. Hubert's uh, in 2016 accepted 133 dogs in California following the wildfires that California had over there. That's awesome. So apparently that's what they do. They just sort of like designate with places to hold animals until their owners can take them back. So I thought that was really, really cool. That is really cool. And, you know, I think a lot of people discount services like that because, you know, there's only – there's a finite amount of resources. Like it costs a lot more money to transport a dog all the way to New Jersey. You know, like you said, there's like less than 200 from those fires. But everything counts. And we should be applauding and celebrating people who think outside the box with stuff like this. Right. Especially in like, like, I feel like we're really spoiled in Austin because we have so many no-kill shelters, but we forget that other places that these animals are being sent to, I mean, even though they're like rescued from these floods and there's massive, massive animals, like those dogs are going to start being euthanized. Those cats are going to start being euthanized because people don't have space for them. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, if we can send them to other states, like, sure, maybe it costs a little more, but that's like Mm -hmm. X amount of lives saved. Yep. So... It's important. And a lot of these, um, I think I mentioned on a previous episode, my mom adopted a dog from an organization that flies animals. And um, their organization is actually manned by volunteer members who have their own planes. So that's also possibly something they're doing with this organization that you're talking about is volunteers with planes. Yeah. I, you know, I doubt they're all being flown on commercial airliners. Like, man, anything, any thinking out of the box like that, it really helps because... There's a finite amount of resources no matter where you go. And, you know, we think about how transportable our lives are, but people can't even imagine, you know, their dog just going and living in New Jersey for a few months while they get back on their feet. And to provide that to someone is pretty outstanding. Right. Well, that's cool. All right. Okay, people. We were going to have a How to Be a Vegan this week. It was going to be about vivisection and about um, the recent issues surrounding Daya foods being bought by Otsuka and the Impossible Burger having one of its ingredients tested on lab rats. But that opinion will probably be the same in a week. So let's just make it next episode. How does that sound, Cassie? That sounds good. Of course it sounds good because we're both like really tired. Um, uh, <laughs> um, anyway... So we're going to put the links to all of those places that you can donate to, that you can research, that you can share online to your richer friends if you'd like. Go check out Dominion and pray for people in Houston. Just kidding. Don't pray because that doesn't do anything. I was going to say, don't don't pray Um, for people. Just send people money if you have money. If you have other stuff you could send, send other stuff. Exactly. You can send good vibes, I guess. I have less issue with good vibes than prayers. Yeah, and you know what? People don't think about this. If you have any, like, old gift cards that you never used, send them to charities. They'll use them. If you have money that you've just found... Send it. And if there's like, if there's charities requesting like specific (laughs) gift cards to specific places, there are um, websites and apps you can go to where you can buy gift cards cheaper than they cost. You can buy like a $50 gift card for $20 sometimes, depending on where it is. Okay, so I just found a couple websites. The first one is called The Ray's Marketplace. Um, It's www.rays.com. And another one is Cardpool, like carpool with a D, C A R D P O O L.com. And it looks like you can get 
some pretty good discounts on some gift cards if you decide that you'd like to donate to any charity, literally any charity that's going toward this kind of stuff. And, you know, something we didn't mention is that there's a giant, giant flood happening across the world right now where thousands of people are already confirmed dead. And um, we should be thinking about those people too, not just the people that are close to us. Anyway. We love you guys. We're sorry natural disasters happen and that people are mean to animals. If those two things like didn't happen, we could talk about cheerful things. I know, right? I, I, I mean, I said it before too. Blame blame <laughs> global warming. Blame everyone who denies global warming. And then, then we'll have something fun to talk about. Um, and be vegan because yeah. then greenhouse gases from cow farts won't happen oh my god that's like such a good point that's why this is happening this is because we eat animals and because humans don't do anything great for this earth we're just holy hell i was trying to bring us back up <laughs> anyway this is episode 39 guys bye we love you bye love you especially for our houston listeners and our rockport and port lavaca and louisiana <laughs> listeners i know we have at least one person in louisiana i've seen you on our stats <laughs> Another Vegan Podcast is recorded in Austin, Texas by your hosts, Brittany Hamby and Cassie Sines. Our producer is Juan Martinez, intro music by David DiDonato. For show notes, news, recipes, and more, check out our website at anotherveganpodcast.org. Subscribe using iTunes and Stitcher, and don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for Another Vegan Podcast. Thanks for listening.